0: Welcome to the High Finance Podcast, where we hop on the cannabis roller coaster and meet the top players and thought leaders from Oregon and around the world. What does it take to start a cannabis business? Learn from the rising stars in the cannabis industry about the economic and financial realities, challenges, and opportunities in this fast-growing sector. No smoke and mirrors here as we learn what's working and what's not. The High Finance Podcast isn't about hippies, incense, and lava lamps. It's about tremendous opportunity, hyper-growth, and blazing new trails into the future. Welcome to the High Finance Podcast.
1: Hi, this is Megan Wallstatter and Sara Batterby, and today we're here with Nathan Howard, who's from East Fork Medicinals, and we're going to talk to Nathan about cannabis and fun stuff. So Nathan, every guest gets asked the first same first question, and it's, how did cannabis find you? Okay.
0: Okay. Um, Let's see. So I would start with my oldest brother. Um, So um, Wesley, who's uh, now 30, um, was uh, born with a pretty rare uh, disease called uh, neurofibromatosis, NF for short, and it's one in every couple million people. And there's still (coughs) not a lot known about it, but uh, essentially it causes abnormal cell growth. And so he has, uh, throughout his body, somewhere between... um, 800 and 2,000 tumors, uh, mostly internal, some external, and it's caused um, a variety of health uh, implications. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we located back in Portland to be near, near OHSU, um, even though my my mom's from Portland and we've been here for a couple of generations. So about 10 years ago, uh, Wesley uh, started to see that certain strains, uh, genetics. Um, and I don't know if he w- knew that they were CBD dominant or heavy uh, strains would help him uh, numb uh, pain, which he experiences um, through most parts of his body, would help with appetite because um, he has natural appetite suppression due to some of the stuff that's going on uh, in his stomach. Um, and uh, as of late, I meaning the last few years, he has seen that certain strains uh, help control his epilepsy. Um, And so uh, it's been pretty miraculous, not only for helping to uh, control the amounts and the severity of uh, grand mal seizures, but it's also allowed him to have um, a lower uh, dose and just amount of different pharmaceuticals that he has to take. And so it's pretty significant. I mean, if he can get off a couple of the uh, pharmaceuticals and have less side effects, um, his overall health starts to improve. And so... My middle brother, Aaron, (coughs) who owns East Fork Medicinals with uh, myself uh, and a couple other folks, uh, including another Sarah, um, uh, he started uh, essentially growing strains that Wesley knew helped him uh, about a decade ago. Um, And so that's, you know, it's, there's been a lot of trials and tribulations and things that have happened since then. And way back when, my mom, who uh, works for Multnomah County at parole and probation, was, you know, she was like, on one hand, this is crazy, and on the other hand, it's really helpful for my oldest son. Um, and so a multitude of things that have happened that have led us down the track of having a, a CBD farm in Southern Oregon.
1: Well, yeah, there's uh, there's nothing that you can argue with when there's proof. When you see your child improving and taking less medicine, I mean, there's that is so much value there, you know, no matter where you're coming from or who pays your paycheck.
0: That's right. Yeah. And it's been gratifying as the science is catching up. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just that Wes wants to get stoned. It's genuinely helping him and people are seeing it across the country and world.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, with high finance being the, the subject of the podcast, it's really good to know that that's where a lot of the industry is coming from, from those stories and just this growing awareness and knowledge that we have something in our hands that can be so powerful. Um, And in a way, there's a lot of people who are, you know, passionate, you know, whether it's activists or, you know, people who care about improving people's health who are kind of going to have to become business people if we're going to start formalizing this and, and getting it out there more broadly. I think that's really the kind of bridge that we're all looking at figuring out how to cross and why this topic is so relevant right now
0: that's right yeah and, and i you know w- when thinking about this podcast and talking with you all i was thinking that that is exactly the growing pains we've been struggling with is how to turn it into a business and at first i figured uh you know i would have nothing really to offer but then i realized i can offer the position of someone who <laughs> is in over in over their head and trying to figure out how to make it all work in terms of a business
2: yeah, well, you know, in my experience, the number one criteria for a, success, a successful business is a very passionate founder. So, I think you've got that on lock. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs>
1: Definitely. Um, so, tell us a little bit about the farm down in Southern Oregon. Uh,
0: so, or a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you a fair amount. Um, I feel like my first answer was a little long, so I'll, I'll be short and sweet. Um, so, the East Fork Ranch is in the small town of Tillamook, uh, which is in southwestern Oregon. In Josephine County, um, <clears throat> and it's about 10 acres, and it's tucked between uh, the Siskiyou Mountain Range and the East Fork of the Illinois River. It's the name East Fork Ranch and East Fork Medicinal. Um, we uh, have a, a small pack of llamas, uh, all wonderful uh, ladies that are all, uh, all over 20 years old, um, and one of the conditions when uh, we acquired the property back in the day was that we take care of the llamas in good health until they die a natural death was the language. And so it's been kind of part of the whole uh, endeavor. And if you look at some of our materials, you'll see a little llama on there, which is sketched after Karina Karina, who's now 23. Um, And we are uh, preparing to uh, produce uh, through the recreational uh, market this upcoming season. And so we're waiting to get final approval from the OLCC uh, for a tier two license. And it's pretty wild right now. I mean, I, I got back uh, last night from the ranch and <clears throat> we'd spent uh, all week and I wanted to get my hands dirty and be on the ground with the team. And we spent all week trenching and, um, you know, putting in a lot of time to make sure all of uh, the genetics and, uh, you know, uh, plants are healthy, which are in the ground right now. Um, but we're, you know, installing cameras, which is bizarre and having to make sure our vault is large enough to carry us through the next few seasons. And at some point we might have to rebuild it. Um, but it's, you know, it's whether people are entering into the recreational market or they're in OMP. It feels right now with all of the changes, um, which a lot of them are necessary. Some I feel like are not, uh, it's just a lot for everybody. Uh, and so that's the, the state of the farm right now is still beautiful. Um, and it's a really great place, uh, I think, to grow canna- cannabis. But the farm right now it kind of looks like uh, it was a, in the middle of a war zone. Um. <laughs> Frenetic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Frenetic. Well, it's it's just progress, fun. I guess.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's the cannabis roller coaster. You know, it's just, it's, I like that. I mean, I feel like everybody, we all yeah, see each other like, how are you doing? And we're all like, oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> 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 it's a hurricane. This portion of our show is brought to you by Satchel, a boutique cannabis dispensary proudly located in the Arbor Lodge neighborhood of North Portland. Satchel strives to create a professional, clean, and comfortable atmosphere for its medical and recreational customers. They offer premium products and handcrafted goods from artisan producers. Whether you're new to cannabis or a seasoned customer, their knowledgeable bartenders will help you select the right strains and products for your individual preferences and needs. To find out more about Satchel Dispensary And to discover their discounts and deals, find them on leavely.com or visit their website at satchelpdx.com. What's in your satchel?
2: That's so interesting, you know, coming from... um, So I I have an interesting uh, thought, you know, talking about the kind of changes that we're dealing with and how these things that really are beyond our control can make these huge differences in our businesses. You know, there was a rumor circulating yesterday about the DEA, and a rescheduling date, August first, to uh, mm-hmm. schedule two, and I think that was by the end of the day somewhat debunked directly by the DEA, who said they they haven't fixed on a schedule and they haven't got a specific date, but they're in the midst of the conversation. So if you if there was something like that and the DEA, you know, legalized medical cannabis nationwide. Would you still pursue that tragi- that transition to a recreational, or do you think it would be more interesting to stay in the medical space?
0: That's a good question. Um, you know, I'd we, I'd have to talk with Aaron, my brother, uh, business partner, best friend, uh, and Sarah and the rest of the team. Um, but my opinion is that we would move we'd still move forward with recreational production. I mean, <clears throat> everything we're growing right now is uh, uh, you know CBD genetics and. Uh, essentially, the way we look at it is, the more uh, medicine we produce, um, you know, the the more fulfilling our mission, uh, the more successful we are, the more we're going to be giving back to to Kilma, Justine County, and the area of Cave Junction. And we've yet to finalize this, but we'd like to do something like you know seven percent back to the community, and have an RFP and help some of the community projects that are, um, you know, struggling to get off the ground in the area because of funding. And Justine County is one of the counties mm-hmm. in the state mm-hmm. and the country, um, and you know if, if we can, if the cannabis industry can help lift that up, and if East Fork can help li- lift that up, um, that will feel really meaningful. And I think recreation caters to that more.
1: Yeah, that w- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it sounded like from that article, which has now been debunked. It was kind of describing more like Connecticut system. You know, it was like like that. Was, like Matt and I were talking about it. My husband <coughs> were like, "What would like What is this?" And like, we nothing changes for us. Like, we're still doing everything that we do right now, and we just kind of create that pharmacy system. Yeah. But that doesn't even. So are they gonna be? Yeah. You know what does that even look like? Well, so everyone. Like, yeah. Mean, yeah.
2: Everyone immediately gets on the phone and calls like the three people that they know who know more <laughs> about it than they do, and then we all speculate wildly about what's going to happen next, and that's you know that's what it's felt like uh, running a business. And I mean, to have that level of uncertainty in an industry where we still need to do the traditional things like Mm -hmm. raise money, manage Mm -hmm. money, um, deal with timeframes between A and B, you're a cultivator. I mean, you know that when that license drops, then you get to scale to a viable Mm -hmm. uh, size to cover your costs because it's expensive to do those build outs. Um, How are you navigating all of that?
0: Um, Just trying to stay, uh, I guess, optimistic um, because it is, you know, taking on the amount of debt it takes to do a build out and to um, move to a recreational production under OLCC's guidelines uh, is intense. And especially if you don't come from the world of private sector i've only worked in nonprofits or in political campaigns and the legislature uh and so while the budgets are big a hundred thousand dollars you know which is just you know from potentially one investor still feels like a lot and so to have all of that stacking up with the uncertainty around regulations um whether or not the license will be issued you know we're fairly confident but all of that is is uh, if I if I take it all in one big chunk and, and we think about it all at once and sometimes Aaron and I and Sarah will talk about it, it is so overwhelming. Attack. Yeah, it <laughs> could <laughs> it could and be debilitating. <laughs> that's what happens to it. me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I to stop talking then about I it. Go to bed. And yeah, that's and then like <laughs> right. Walk away. Walk that's right. Away. <laughs> yeah. And that's the risk because I you know I feel like a lot of people they're feeling that um, they're feeling debilitated and it's uh-huh. almost, and that's that's the scary part because if if you start if you don't continue to make forward progress and you don't continue to feel optimistic. Uh, that's when I think things can fall apart. Right. so we mm-hmm. I have a lot of philosophical conversations with my brother and our partners about that very thing because th- you know the anxiety does sometimes take hold.
1: Sure. Um, well operating from a place of fear is never mm-hmm. a sound place to right. be making huge decisions like we have to be making every mm-hmm. day with our businesses right now because of this transition time that yeah. we're in. Yeah. So that's you've really gotta stay like yeah. grounded and calm. Yeah. I think what's ish.
2: helpful and what I try to kind of um, and, and this is uh, you know the process that you've been going through is what I find with a lot of the people who ask me for input on how to navigate that process in terms of financing is what are the steps that I would take to get my company organized financially and then funded and then financially managed appropriately. And I know that you've been through this process and um, maybe you could give us what your steps were.
0: Sure, um, yeah, so th- I think the first thing we wanted, we did was we looked at the actuals. You know, how did we, what were the sales like last season and the season before? Um, and you know, if we don't have more than a couple of years, which we didn't, um, at least <laughs> of, of records we took that we could refer to, we talked to similar operations to get an idea. Um, and while the market might change wildly next year we wanted to have a base understanding for what we can expect so from there uh, we uh, prepared um, just our books to be easily to easily digestible for investors and people to see Um, we prepared uh, projections five years out um, and we had a baseline of what we think is realistic each year and then we Ratchet up and down by ten percent to be more conservative and more optimistic, Um, and uh, so essentially we had a just a uh, compilation of all of uh, all the materials that we had on hand so that we can hand over to somebody who's potentially investing, potentially interested in investing, um, and. Ideally, they'll have all of the information in front of them to answer the questions they have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'd have a little narrative. We'd talk about, um, you know, what it's taken to get us to this point, what we hope to do in the future, an explanation of the ranch, you know, a little profile on the llamas, whatever people want Mm -hmm. uh, to to make it feel real. Um, And then uh, lately we've been. Playing around with uh, discounted cash flow model to get an idea of the valuation of the company.
2: Can you yeah. tell us what that is?
0: Uh, what we landed at? Well, no, uh, but what what does that mean? Oh,
2: um, <laughs> <well>. <laughs> as a valuation methodology.
0: Sure. Uh, we essentially look at uh, future projected future sales um, and uh, what we might gross over the next. So we did ten years out. And so what we might gross over the next 10 years mm-hmm. and uh, include interest and um, put it all together and you get a rough idea of what your company's valued at. And you might, you know, I think I should be asking you a better, <laughs> <laughs> a, a better yeah. explanation for it. Um, yeah, it's just
2: <laughs> one valuation model and it's great that you use that one and it's the same one that I used. Mm-hmm. Um, and Excellent. there are some variables. And it's a very simple process of looking down the road at future earnings, future yeah. revenue, And then you just kind of add it all up and then you apply a discount to account for the fact that present value, the the present value of money is greater than the future value Mm -hmm. of money. um, And also you apply a discount for the risk. So a high Mm -hmm. risk company, Mm -hmm. you would imagine discounting at a rate of, say, 25%. And I found playing with a lot of valuation models that that was a really effective way to value cannabis because we actually get to revenue quite quickly in a lot of our business models or we're already mm-hmm. in revenue right. and you can garner a relatively um, strong valuation that's actually still a relative, it's still a conservative valuation in terms of the way th- economics in general looks at ways to value things. So it's great that you use that that methodology and it's, it's one thing I tell a lot of people to do is and the cool thing about that valuation is there's these great little calculators online that you can yeah, just Google discounted <laughs> cash flow yeah. valuation, and you'll find a little calculator, yeah. and you can just do it sitting there in front of your computer, which is pretty cool, not to have to, you know, hire some finance geek to help
0: you with that. Totally, it was pretty intuitive. The yeah. the thing that uh, is still undetermined is, you know, how much do we. Uh, how do we calculate the risk? Mm-hmm. Sure. So do we just cut it in half because there's so much risk involved? Well, or? Everybody has a different risk Yeah, sure. So kind too, of. That's the other <laughs> thing, too. Is it like yeah.
1: a, I've definitely learned that in my company. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, oh, okay. I guess I have a higher risk tolerance right now. You yeah, know? me too. Like, yeah, totally. And, it's all and cannabis for us people to do. Feel you know. risk because if we did,
2: we wouldn't be in this business. Right, exactly. so we wouldn't be here. Exactly. And Real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah.
1: there was a were some remarks. <laughs> what risk? That, <laughs> what? Sh- I should worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: that's interesting you say that. There was a um, some remarks that Steve Jobs gave a few years ago. And he said that one of the most crucial aspects of starting a small business or small endeavor, whatever it might be, is to have enough passion to outweigh uh, the risks you feel. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's it. <laughs> and that's it. And so we must have a lot of passion because we just don't yeah. see the risk Or <laughs> enough fear. <Well>, <laughs> I
1: right. well, mean, when you're focused adrenaline. on risk, just you're thinking about really. fear, right? That's like <laughs> yeah. fear-based. too. So it yeah. is, it's about that optimism. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. yeah.
2: So how did, you, how did you meet investors? I I get asked that question all the time.
0: So what we've been trying to do, it's, it's easy just to go to your friends. Um, and it's also easy, I think, for uh, a company um, that has uh, a guy taking on that charge, taking on the lead of trying to find investors, going to his other guy friends. Um, and so we've been having conversations about, one, how to find investors that aren't just friends people who can provide unique insight and value uh, that we really would otherwise not have. And if it's just my friends, a lot of them know the same things that I know um, or my partner's friends. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we've been, you know, there have been people who have come to us who I know really well, uh, interested in investing, and I've been considering some of those options, and we've taken on somebody. Um, But as of late, meaning the last six months, we've been trying uh, more intentionally to find people uh, outside of our immediate community, who aren't uh, white dudes, <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, so great
2: that you yeah. recognize the importance of that. Yeah, why do you see that as important?
0: Um, well, one, uh, you know, the, this opportunity in the in the cannabis industry, um, or the, the opportunities are are just massive. And one of the big ones I've, I see is the accumulation of new wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it's, you know, that's one of the exciting, really exciting aspects for rural Southern Oregon as well. Um, but if we're, if we have an opportunity to create new wealth, new opportunity, um, and as a business, we are generating all of that new wealth and opportunity uh, for dudes, in a particular white dudes, you know, <laughs> theoretically the most privileged people on the face of the earth. Um, so I hear that doesn't, so so I hear, yeah, I've never experienced that. Um, uh, it doesn't feel good and it's not really within our mission. It's, it's not part of, um, you know, what I feel like is, uh, has guided me in the past. It's definitely not part of what my brother wants and it's not what uh, Sarah wants. Um, so aside from the philosophy, it also is good business. And I, uh, either I saw or read your remarks, um, Sarah uh, recently talking about uh, the actual data behind having a more diverse company, mm-hmm. diverse leadership, um, leading to a better business, higher mm-hmm. earnings. Uh, more you know, you're what you're more well positioned to succeed if it's if it, you know everyone doesn't have the same yeah. opinion and same experiences.
1: Sure, mm-hmm. diversification. Do you think you know? I really liked earlier when you were talking about how you want to figure out a way to give back. You know, you had mentioned 7% or something mm-hmm. of your revenue. Do you feel like that has been attractive to your investors, having that kind of stewardship over your community?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, You know, I think that that is a, a manifestation of uh, what, what we've been trying to do all along. And mm-hmm. so there's, um, you know, there's a few things like that, and hopefully we'll continue to, to, to have um, things like that that are appealing to people. We want to... Uh, uh, know, always be organic. We we would like to have the least negative impact possible on um, the environment around our farm and around Tekelma. We want to have the least potential negative impact on the community um, and have some, you know, social standards in terms of not inundating this small community with dump trucks or whatever it might be. Um, and we also then down the line, <clears throat> should everything work out, want to give back financially. And I think that th- that is attractive to people because, um, you know, it's not only uh, environmental sustainability or social sustainability, meaning good relationships, but people see those things as also, um, uh, you know, the leadership of the company, uh, valuing sustainability in general, mm-hmm. uh, so they see that also as potential uh, focus on financial stability. So if we're focusing on, um, you know, these aspects, chances are we're also really prioritizing being able to do this in the long term and not, um, you know, just being a business that operates for a couple of years. And so I think, you know, people like those values and Oregon is a spectacular place in terms of, you know, embodying those values, maybe at a higher uh, rate than other states, mm-hmm. parts mm-hmm. of the country. Um, But it also, I think people see it as, you know, these people value all aspects of sustainability and maybe that means financial sustainability. So that's a good investment for me.
1: Shango is the new name for cannabis in America, and we're pleased to welcome them as a high finance sponsor. Shango is one of the top cannabis cultivators, processors, and sellers in Oregon. They are constantly growing the brand's retail market footprint and wholesale network of independent dispensaries, and they are poised to launch operations in new state markets across the country. Shango is recognized by the nationwide media as an expert cannabis authority. Their products, customer service, and retail shopping experience are setting the standards for the cannabis industry. And they are committed to customer education, child safety, and the responsible use of all cannabis products. Visit GoShango.com and find out why Shango is ready to become a major force in the cannabis industry and America's first and finest cannabis brand. Right. I mean,
2: I think investors, you know, there's this category of investors called impact investors. And there's this idea that those people are not looking to make money. And that's actually a horrible misnomer. It's not true (laughs) at all. Um, They are looking to make money. They're definitely probably prepared to um, weigh that they consider part of the return to be an impact return based on the way that, that that money is distributed. But at the end of the day, investors are very focused on return. And I do think that your your story and especially, you know, for HiFi, fi a story around sustainability, which is very, very core to our thesis, has been a very successful um, strategy with investors, but really because of the way it drives down costs mm-hmm. and creates a more um, robust financial model. And so investors are looking um at a business, and they're looking at at a team, and they're looking at a structure, and they're thinking about returns. In your company, what do you think made your company so attractive and investable from the business side of things?
0: Uh, I definitely think that was part of it. I mean, we have. Um, several things we can point to as being lower cost than maybe your average grow operation or farm in part because it also happens to be more environmentally sustainable um Mm -hmm. not shipping in as much soil focusing on building the native soil um you know not spending money on expensive fertilizers or whatever and then the long-term projections of uh being fully off the grid which we intend to be in terms of um energy uh, is also attractive because that saves money over the long term. Um, I would say that a lot of people also see, um, you know, sun-grown cultivation as not just potentially more environmentally friendly, um, but also a more lucrative uh, business down the line in terms of uh, overhead. So, you know, at some point, we may move everything into greenhouse, and right now it's a mix of outdoor and greenhouse. Um, but you know, indoor production requires a large facility, mm-hmm. the energy that comes with it, um, and you know, just having uh, all the maintenance of the structure, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that has costs associated with it. And while you can produce potentially more frequently year-round. Um, if you're growing a full acre outside and you can do that a couple times a year i think investors see that as potentially having a uh, higher profit yeah um, and we've you know we need to see that in a, in, our, in our actuals but that's something that we're, c- we're thinking might happen and i think investors see that
2: yeah mm-hmm. and i mean 74% is the statistic of 74% um, of angel investment decisions are made on a gut feel basis which interestingly enough I just I always hated that statistic because I'm a really big fan of data information. (laughs) And what I experienced was my investors wanted to know that all of that work had been done and all of that stuff was there. But I don't know how deeply they looked into it once they were comfortable that that competence was there. I think they made a gut decision Mm. that was based on something else. So what do you think the gut decision that they – what do you think it is that they were tapping into with – you guys that made them be like, yeah, these, these guys, uh, I'm going to pick these guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, so uh, I'll begin by saying, we've only taken on, um, uh, three investors, you know? And so it's not a lot. Um, and we're, you know, we're raising capital and we've taken out a couple of loans, but we're also still, uh, shoestringing it a bit. Um, yeah. and so it's, it's not like we're, you know, raising millions of dollars. Um, but it's, it is really a, a funny you mention it as well, because I recently sat down with a potential investor who wanted to put in um, you know, cash and also uh, sweat equity, uh, because they live down in southern Oregon. And at some point, they, st- they, they quit looking at the projections model and uh, the pro forma. And I really don't think that they made it all the way through. And they had already made a decision. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, on one hand, I'm like, oh, I put so much work into that thing. <laughs> I uh, know. But on the other hand, I was like, okay, well, so, it, you know, they saw what they needed to see. And I think that they're they're making a decision based on things that weren't in my prepared documents. Absolutely. And I think that if, you know, going back to um, having the passion to outweigh the risk that someone feels and the passion to... To not give up when things get really tough, where there is a lot of doubt, uh, is also helpful in terms of bringing people along. So, if you know they see that confidence, mm-hmm. I think that give, creates buying and makes them uh, more optimistic that it will succeed. And so, I think when we're going over those materials, and I am just super stoked with yeah. the rest of the team. Um, it you know it's 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 they see it as confidence, and it makes them more likely to to have that gut feeling and be like, okay, let's do it.
1: Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about your experience just being in Tacoma and how did you choose Tacoma? (laughs) Because it's a great place. It is is (laughs)
0: remarkable. Um, so, uh, we, our family, the Howards, we grew up in East Portland and, um, so I'll I'll start from the beginning, I guess. Uh, (laughs) so we, um, multiple generations that we've been farmers or we've done uh, logging that's what my gran- uh, grandpa used to do in southern uh, the south coast in Coos Bay um, and uh, the current generation of Howard's um, school was never really for us um, and I ended up graduating high school and going to college and as the uh, first one of my family to, to um, go to college and my other brothers eventually got their GED but high school is not their thing so they dropped out and um, did other sometimes cool things and Aaron in particular uh, loved growing things and he loved farming um, and so uh, in the early 2000s he worked on um, community gardens across the city of Portland and helped uh, neighborhoods connect their community gardens with farmers markets and it's now grown into some big farmers markets like the Montevilla farmer market, farmers market. and um, so it really go- comes back to it goes down or it Comes to Aaron uh, and his desire to grow things and eventually grow strains uh, or genetics that my oldest brother uh, found helpful. And about uh, 11 years ago, Aaron, uh, with a friend, visited to Kilma. Um, uh, his friend Cedar told him that there were these, you know, incredibly beautiful large uh, cannabis gardens, and there was a lot of potential jobs associated with it, whether it was growing or trimming. Um, and Aaron was part of that industry for a couple of years and said, okay, I'm going to live down in, in southwest Oregon in Kilma and make this my home. And he lived in a, a teepee for a bit and then in a yurt for a bit um, and over the last decade has really put in roots and um, is now raising uh, Olivia, my little baby niece, uh, who's delightful, with his partner Jennifer. And um, so it was you know, visiting Aaron that made me fall in love with the community um, and it's just such a great uh, climate and social climate for sun grown cannabis
2: How far away is it? Cuz <laughs> I'm going to come visit. Oh, yeah, oh I would gorgeous. love to have visit. Yeah. Um
0: especially go to the river. The yeah. Llama. Oh, the, uh, the llamas the River. It's the it really is. the is. river, everything. When you're not digging trenches, it's really fantastic. Um <laughs> So Aaron just called right before this recording and said, can you please come down tonight if if possible? And I got back last night, um, and uh, I promise I don't drive that often. Um, But, you know, I was thinking, okay, it's going to take me six hours to get down there. That's (laughs) a long way. what time do I leave tonight before I, you know, it's dangerous for me to drive because I'm tired. Falling asleep Uh at the wheel. Um, (laughs) So that's kind of a difficulty, having the farm so far away. Um, You know, there is I-5, but... From I five to Tekelma, it's another hour plus, um, and it's pretty rural road. Um, and one of the considerations that w- you know we have to um, make is uh, <laughs> essentially how often we're going to drive. So Josephine County has almost no public safety; they have I think five police officers r- officers right now for the entire county. Yeah, right. it's wild. The last few sure, public levies. Yeah. I mean it's been it's just it's it's nuts and it's not sustainable. And so as a result there's a lot of reckless driving. Um, yeah, there's right. a lot of drunk driving. Um, mm-hmm. and there's you know driving on some of those roads uh, after a certain time is genuinely dangerous. dangerous. Yeah, so yeah. Um, that's another consideration is what time I leave and what the the, the roads will be like. Right.
1: Um, not even just yourself behind the wheel but everybody else. That's right. yeah, yeah. 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 Do you feel like having the farm I mean, it's a, it's a picturesque farm. I mean, you know, it's quintessential, right? You go out, you see the plants, investors can get their hand, like, head wrapped around it. But yeah. has the distance or any of that been a deterrent in any way? Or do you feel like people are more attracted to it?
0: Um, you know, if it has been a deterrent, um, we haven't seen it much. Uh, one, I mean, I guess one uh, difficulty is that we do want people to come see the farm. We want it to be real to them, and a lot of people just, you know, The kind of the the people who might be investing big bucks, um, you know, it's hard for them to justify taking six hours to drive down and then six hours to drive back. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's one of the problems. But it's also um, it's uh, maybe it's outweighed by people's desire to be out in a serene environment it's really quiet, and the frogs and the crickets. You can hear the river. Sometimes the llamas will uh, hee and haw a little bit, and people like that. And so I think that might outweigh it. But you know, we'll see in the coming years how difficult it is to you know get all of the uh, flour and material uh, and products to market, because uh, I think that's going to be a lot of driving to Portland.
1: This portion of our show is brought to you by Cultivated Industries, experts in cultivation and extraction. Cultivated Industries combines decades of growing expertise with innovative technologies and practices to deliver award-winning flour and extracts to the cannabis marketplace. The company's cultivation and extraction facilities are integrated under one roof to ensure optimal quality, safety, and transparency in all stages of production. Cultivated Industries utilizes eco-friendly practices such as the use of beneficial insects to mitigate harmful pests and relies solely on renewable energy to power its state-of-the-art facility located in Portland, Oregon. To learn more about their products and find a store locator, visit their website, cultivatedindustries.com.
2: Have you ever been asked by, um, I was never asked this an investor, but <laughs> I wonder just because...
1: I'm so curious. Where's <laughs> the question going <laughs> to be? <laughs> well, w-
2: you know, Portland's hitting some pretty crazy temperatures um, mm. uh, for, for early on in the summer. I just left a 118-degree day Whoa. in Phoenix, Arizona uh, yesterday. Um, it's crazy. And, I mean, if you think about uh, these plants that are uh, very organized around temperature, and have you know somewhat uh, reliance on you know good good amount of water. Um, do people have you ever been asked about that, and if you're concerned about that, and how you see that impacting your your kind of cultivation environment over the next decade or so?
0: Yeah, that is a fantastic question. One person has asked that, but not um, as deeply as, or articulately as you just did. And essentially, what impact is climate change going to have? on Southern Oregon and this, you know, incredible outdoor uh, community of growers. Uh, And the question is, we don't really know. Wow, Um, We we are well-positioned to always have access to water. Um, Our water rights were issued in the late 1800s. Mm -hmm. I think it's the oldest, actually, in the Illinois Valley. um, Wow, congratulations. Yeah, thank you, it's pretty wild. (laughs) Well, we didn't know that until uh, a bit on it, or a bit uh, further along into looking at the property a while back. but we have uh, a pretty good watershed, quite a few streams that operate from or that are, come from s- uh, snowpack. So, water is, we should be okay, but who knows? Um, but we're, the projections show over the next five years, we'll be fine. 10 years, probably okay. Um, in terms of the increasing uh, hot summers um, and also increasing forest fires. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the dangerous things down in in Southern Oregon with outdoor cultivation with no greenhouses um, is that during the summer months when there are weeks of smoky skies, particulates (laughs) of trees and whatever are landing on the flower Mm -hmm. um, and they can get inside, you know, uh, and cause serious problems. So the the heat and the smoke are real concerns. And so, you know... It would be a bummer to eventually move everything uh, underneath the roof into greenhouses, greenhouses. Yeah. Um, but that is an option, and you know, th- then we would have to provide cooling.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. But the risk, when you think about it, of uh, you know, a catastrophic loss—those yep. are the things that you think about as a family. I think families have been, you know, prepared to take a hit, maybe. One year out of five, say, or one year out of ten, they they can handle a hit, but it's a little bit different once you start looking at risk for investors and talking about catastrophic catastrophic failure. It's and you have employees and you have all of this stuff. Absolutely, it's a tough one.
0: Yeah. So at some point we may this conversation I think is going to become more real. Um, You know, I don't see the climate in the next few years, uh, really next decade, becoming unfavorable. But I do think that certain genetics might start to become favorable because of the hotter temperatures. Sure, um, mm-hmm. So we, mm-hmm. we could, you know, things could um, match up with uh, <laughs> climate change, um, and hopefully we can do something real about that That's soon. That's true, different, different
2: uh, cannabis. Our island, Sweet Skunk, loves the heat. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. But yeah. The You know, a lot of the other strains that we grow don't love it as much, so we have to be thoughtful about how we organize our cultivation around different kind of temperature zones for different Mm -hmm. strains. I hadn't thought about the strain kind of landscape changing as the temperatures change and the outdoor growers adjust.
0: Yep, And there's the potential for, uh, you know, altering them through breeding to Mm be, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, more hospitable. for the environment to be more hospitable for growth but a lot of variables there and the big thing is uh, forest fires I Mm -hmm. think that will continue to be a problem or something a big consideration for southern Oregon growers
1: definitely we've had people bring in um, product to the shop where you can smell you can smell smell oh yeah yeah it was smoky I'm like it looks great but I can't, I like smell smoke. You're like, one out yeah. of 10
0: customers will like that smoky. Smoke. I know, maybe. <laughs> yeah,
1: totally. But it is. It's, It's. I mean, it's legitimate. I mean, I think I last summer, you know, everyone was prepared for this epic, like at this time, it was like, oh, we're going to have this epic summer. And then there was a bunch of forest fires and russet mites, and there's things mm-hmm. that, you know, oh, definitely. I hate russet mites. I hate them too. <laughs> I think that is universal at this point. The hate is real, um, but, um, <laughs> or the dislike. But, you know, you just don't, it's, it's hard, like, and indoor or outdoor, there's elements that we can't control, yep. you know, um, no matter how much we try in our world. So it is going to be, climate control is going to be a big one that none of us have any control
0: over. Yeah. I, mean, really. I like the idea of the, of the community and the cannabis industry ra- rallying around a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the really exciting things about, I feel like having a business in the industry and the industry in general is there's so much potential, uh, to not prioritize social good and environmental uh, stewardship over profit, but at least create more parity uh, and get closer. And there's a lot of industries where there is, you know, they, they've never heard the phrase triple bottom line. Right. Um, and so for another thing that the industry and, and growers and whoever uh, operates within cannabis uh, to rally around being climate change is exciting. And I, mm-hmm. you
2: know, yeah, and being a leader in that because th- – Frankly, many of the entrepreneurs that I work with are hearing this information for the first time. So right. it's not like they're, having to re- they're not having to unlearn and relearn. The, w- the reason sustainability and diversity are so dynamic and so exciting in the cannabis industry is because when leaders come into the space and say, this is how you do business, you have diversity and these are the reasons why and you have sustainability and these are the reasons why and you can lay out a strong business and strong economic argument for that and you have an audience of people who are just like, okay, let's go <laughs> and, and then go out and deploy these tactics and technologies to build their companies. I think that's why we're seeing a much more kind of integrated approach to sustainability and diversity in cannabis than we've seen in any other industry.
1: And we've wanted it for so long and we haven't had any access to it. And that's a huge part of it. And now right. people are not. I mean, I can't tell you how many energy resource assistants or program yeah. people are <laughs> calling us and want to talk to us. <laughs> and, you know, it's definitely that it, those calls are getting more frequent, um, you know. So it's an interesting, mm-hmm. an interesting tide to watch, you know, yeah. when that happens.
0: It's um, very exciting.
1: It is. Yeah. It's really and I cool. mean,
2: it's one of the things I get asked a lot to talk about but I'm not an expert in sustainability. I mean, I just keep pointing the finger to people who really understand mm-hmm. sustainability because it's actually, um, it's a very, r- you know, sustainability is like economics. It's it's a very well-developed field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're in this little piece of it and we focus a lot on energy, but it's much bigger than that. Yep. Uh, I think that's um, a good thing to know and maybe I hope you have a few of those free upfront conversations with those consultants (laughs) because you'll get, you get quite an education when you talk to them. It's like, oh my goodness, there's a lot of stuff we could be doing.
1: There's so much and it's always changing and that field is developing even faster than maybe cannabis. If something, if we can even say that out loud about anything. (laughs) Um, So we just have a couple minutes left and I have to switch gears and ask you about your other hat that you wear or you have worn as your deputy campaign manager for TED. Um, Yeah. So... What would I mean? Do you think that Ted is going to be the can of mayor for, Port, for Portland? Is that what we have on our hands? Or, um,
0: you know, I do think he will be. Um, so yeah, as you as you noted, I like the switching of gears. Um, <laughs> I was the uh, deputy manager for state treasurer Ted Wheeler in his Portland mayoral campaign, and the primary election was on May 17th. There were 15 people running, uh, he won uh, more than 50 percent, which means we don't have to go to a runoff, and we have seven months to plan. A transition and dive into things more deeper like the city's proposed three percent tax mm. uh, on top of the state's c- what currently twenty five percent tax that'll down to as seventeen as of this morning.
2: Yeah. Oh, is it this morning? It's seventeen. Yeah. Now. Well, I no, just so heard it this morning. They must have done it, it yesterday.
1: Go, no, it goes over to seventeen when we're OLCC. Right. So that well, Correct. the three gotcha. percent for the city of Portland will will also happen at that time. So whenever so the OLCC stores open, gotcha. That's yes. when we switch. Right now, I'm still paying twenty five percent with through the OHA program. Right. That's right. And so. Yeah. The, so yeah.
0: Theoretically, it'll be if this passes, the 3% will be 20%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll uh, still
1: go down to five. Yeah. Right.
0: So, 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 having seven months to look into these things, do community development, mm-hmm. do policy work um, is exciting. And, you know, throughout the campaign, I think uh, Ted was outspoken on um, some of the issues that entrepreneurs, businesses, people in the cannabis industry are facing at disproportionate levels. I mean, I, there is a tendency to look at people and companies in the industry as cash cows and um, to just see them as a revenue generator and a, a you know, risk to mitigate. And not only is that unfair to people who are spending their savings um, and you know, rallying their families to, to try to you know, make better lives for themselves, um, it's also bad policy when you're making policy based on fear uh, or decisions based on fear uh, you are much more likely to make a bad decision and things that have unintended consequences. And so, um, it was really cool to work for, uh, the guy, uh, who was, you know, I think is seen as a champion for the industry right now and for people, um, operating within it. And I think he'll continue to hold that uh, mantle and maybe he's not the champion, but he's at least an advocate, uh, over the next four to eight years or however long he's mayor. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll be looking at things, uh, like, um, Social consumption, which mm-hmm. is, you know, big, and there are things <laughs> to be desired there. Yeah. Uh, we'll be looking at the Clean Indoor Act that, you know, outlaws the ability for people um, to uh, – well, I guess one of the big concerns that we have is people in housing – Consumption,
2: safe consumption spaces. S- safe consumption. Yeah. People need yeah. a place
0: to consume safely. It's, you Madeline know,
2: Martinez. Yeah. Go Madeline. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah,
0: so I think he'll be good uh, on it. And, you know, I think he'll also, um, you know, he's he's. it's really nice t- or cool to hear him say things like there's no reason that the Portland metro area in Oregon should not be Uh, premier world destination for you know festivals Mm -hmm. uh, craft products um, industry experts Uh, so I think that over the next few years we can start to really create an environment that allows people to thrive and the industry to thrive
1: yeah yeah and it's definitely it is hot topics all around for sure Um, so you'll be continuing with Ted when he's in the mayoral office that's the idea awesome wonderful Yeah. we're excited to have you be in there as well thank i mean you. he probably wouldn't be as well educated around cannabis if he didn't have someone like you on his team so <laughs> thank you um and thank you for coming today as always we could keep talking for another 45 minutes but that just kind of flew by on us <laughs> um so thank you for coming out nathan maybe we'll have to have you on again cover some more stuff
0: thank you for having me this has been delightful yeah, yeah. thanks thanks sir you've been listening to the high finance podcast recorded weekly at the bigfoot podcast studio in the heart of downtown portland please tune in every week through itunes stitcher soundcloud google play overcast or the app of your choice subscribe rate us and please leave us a review on itunes and we may well read it on air change your thoughts and change your world